0: Somewhere around there, Mike made it, you know, was joking around, I have a new way of getting clients. I you know, the phone rings and I pick it up.
1: Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Case Fuel podcast. I've got an excellent guest for you today in Michael Bell, who is the founder of Law Firm Excellence. And he does consulting and runs a service that helps law firms build their content base in a way that's really, really unique. So I'm excited to show you guys how he does that. First of all, Michael, thanks for uh, taking the time to make this call. Oh, you bet, Jan. Uh Glad to be here. All right, fantastic. So um, we kind of gave the broad strokes, but if you wouldn't mind, uh, go ahead and tell us the origin story of how you got to the place that you are today.
0: I worked at a law firm for a lot of years. I started out as a kind of a paralegal at my friend's firm. I was kind of a part-time gig for me while I was doing other stuff. But I was with him as he started growing his firm. Around 10 attorneys, he asked me to to take on a full-time role. We called it the business manager at that time. So I was kind of focusing on business. And as the firm grew, eventually my title shifted to executive director, but it was kind of always the same thing. You know, he was running the attorneys and the practice of law. And my job was to build all the systems in the firm to enable it to function as a business. And so I did that till about 2014. And then I started my own consulting firm and worked with some different clients. But I've sort of moved into a role now working for that same firm that I used to work for as an employee, running a, um, a web product that they they provide as a service to their the same marketplace that they serve as attorneys.
1: Yeah, so that's really interesting. And then we have listeners that are ranging all the way from very successful firms to solo practitioners. But for the solo practitioners out there that are looking to grow a firm, I mean, you, you basically lived the dream journey of what people are doing. So I mean, it's a very interesting to have the perspective of someone who's been inside a solo firm all the way to the point where they're making giant moves in their market. So um, I want to dig down on that a little bit. So what kind of things were, were these guys focusing on right around that spot? Potentially, if you have anything for the one to ten mark on yeah, there.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because so look, I'm about fifty years old, and uh, one of my first gigs out of college, I was in a sales role at an insurance agency, and I ran into one of the mentors, one of the leaders of that firm years later, and I, I kind of joke with them. It's like now I understand they were always like in the office with the door closed, like the, the the top two or three executives, you know, that have these meetings, and I never knew what that was about. And I was joking with them, like, oh, now I'm in that kind of role myself, and I. Understand Understand what's going on. You go in that office and you confer because you don't know what to do. You have no clue. You're confronted with some new situation and you're just trying to figure it out. And he laughed. He's like, yeah, that's totally what we were doing that whole time. So I think it's like that in that that world of uh, one to 10 attorneys and, and frankly, 10 to 20 or 30. And, and at some point, you kind of figure it out and you build the systems. But in a nutshell, that's what that journey was like. So what are some key areas that would be helpful to focus on?
1: I'm curious to see what was really able to get these guys to take off. So, I mean, you probably worked on a lot of different initiatives. Like, what were the things that ended up really moving the needle and allowing these guys to scale up?
0: It probably would help to just have the context of the practice area too, because I think like there's a lot of similarities, but also practice area is such a huge aspect of, you know, I've looked at and and worked with different firms and it really is, it's central to your experience, right? So the firm practice California workers comp defense and California workers comp is, is big business. And and they represent employers, insurance companies, and uh, TPA claims entities and defending litigated workers' comp claims. So it just gives you a feel for what they're doing. Typical attorney might handle 70 to 100 cases. It's probably a little bit lower now. But during the time I was there, that was kind of the range. So it's a high volume business. And in the early days, you're just scratching and clawing for business any way you can. But like those personal relationships are really important. And of course, this kind of leads to the theme of, what I'm doing now. The firm that I, I worked for it's called Michael Sullivan and Associates. Just from the earliest days, Mike Sullivan was always interested in publishing, and he would prepare these um, every time there was like a new law or uh, maybe some some important you know cases that would come out or some some new regulations that would affect that industry. The way that he would get his mind around those things is he would write a summary, like a mini book, that would explain to you know his clients what the impacted these changes are. And he did that for himself as a way to, to better understand the things that were new. But of course, it's a great marketing tool as well. And so he would um, try to get those things distributed as widely as possible. That led to speaking invitations. Not the most unique idea. A lot of firms do this, but they would offer to go in and present to you know the claims department or train adjusters, that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of that in the early years. And that's sort of uh, built into the foundation of the firm. Now, a lot of the associates and the managers... Managing partners do that kind of stuff as well.
1: So that's interesting. You you brought something up that I want to dig down a little bit deeper into, which is the fact that they're doing these tactics that other people are doing, like the education, lunch and learn type thing. So, what do you think you guys were doing differently that allowed you to get through where other firms might not have?
0: One of the things that's really unique to Mike Sullivan in particular is, I mean, this is just a guy with a big personality. He's a pretty authentic person. And, you know, he grew up in Orange County. He's kind of got that surfer dude persona a little bit. And, you know, not everybody loves that. But I'd say the the ratio is like sort of 20% of the people who, who encounter that kind of find it a little too loose and, and it makes them uncomfortable. They don't like it. But about 80% of the people love it because he's like real and authentic. And I don't think that's something you duplicate. I mean, that's just a gift that he has, but that was a big part of, um, you know, he was just out pounding the pavement and people enjoyed interacting with him. So that was a big factor in the early days, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and you bring up something interesting. I mean, somebody doesn't necessarily have to take the exact strategy of, you know, hey, I need to be a surfer dude if I to get like into, in front of these businesses. But uh, you kind of hammered on something that we've spoken about in a couple previous episodes, which is like the importance of really defining your niche. And yeah. uh, authenticity is something that people bring up a lot in content marketing because it's really tough. To pretend to be something. But if you're communicating with the intent that's representing who you are as a person, you're going to end up working with people that resonate with that. You resonate with a certain kind of people. Basically, whatever you're putting out there is going to attract uh, the, the people that resonate with you. And also, I, I kind of want to stress that content marketing is sort of the flip side. So the world that, that we're generally living in, which is was predominantly based on search engine marketing, mm-hmm. tends to work really, really well for the consumer side of things. But from a B2B perspective, it's very tough. The B2B consumer is both you know more network driven. You take somebody who's a successful business owner, chances are they didn't get up there by themselves. So they have a wide network and um, these people are all very interested in consuming content that keeps them at the top of their field. And then by putting the content out there, you not only are appealing to that person, but appealing to that person's friends. So it's a very interesting strategy, which looks like he's it's worked out pretty well for him. As far as priorities as the firm scaled, um, another thing we like to talk about a lot is sort of building out the the skeleton of the business in terms of the operations, the hires, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What was that process like as the firm was scaling up?
0: There were a lot of lessons, a lot of things we did well, but you know, we started early on. You know, I grew up as a kid. My dad got ink magazine and I don't know why, but I was like reading ink magazine at home when I was like 10, 12 years old and I really liked it. <laughs> and so it's like, I have this sort of knowledge base of just all those years of being interested in sort of marketing and business. And we were struggling with trying to figure out what to focus on. And I had this thought and I think it goes back to a, an article I read in ink magazine once, but I decided. I was going to start putting all the numbers that we cared about on a piece of paper. And we called it the one sheet. I think this article was something like there's some guy who owned a business, but he didn't work in the business. So his job was like they would fax him this piece of paper every day and he would look at the numbers and he would talk to his managers on the phone about what changes to make. But it was all based on looking at the numbers. So we created this one sheet report and it was an iterative process. I mean, we did that starting somewhere around the 10 attorney level and it's still in place today, but it's very, very different now. Now they call it the model. But essentially what we were doing is tracking all the numbers that really mattered. And then over time, we started to uh, get into um, making projections. You know, there's a substantial amount of uh, administrative resources that go into this process. But what we found was that managing to the numbers is incredibly useful. So it's something like this, you hire attorneys based on file count and you perceive when it's time to, to find another attorney, you have an understanding of like, what does it cost you when an attorney leaves? Let's say that an attorney leaves, like I know that's a $50,000 ding, right? Yes, I'm gonna get somebody else and and they're gonna handle those same files, but there's gonna be a period where there's those files are not being worked properly, that's gonna hurt the client relationship. It's going to create a gap in the cash flow because even when I get the new person on board and they bill and, and those bills are out in the world and then they bring the cash back when they get paid, there's an interruption in that steady stream. Right. So now you're faced with the management decision of the attorney who's in your office telling you that there's something they're not happy about or there's some other offer they have or whatever. You have a clear understanding of what your cost benefit analysis is when you're in that conversation, right? Because you know your number so well. So you make value judgments based on, you know, what are your overall goals and and maybe you still want to let that person go because the thing that they're saying is not something you wanna allow to take root in your organization, but at least you know the decision you're making as opposed to just being like clueless about what do I do now that this is happening? So I I touched on a lot of ideas there, but the idea is number one is you understand your business really well. But number two is you perceive things when you're reviewing numbers, you perceive things that you wouldn't pick up as quickly any other way. So somebody's got like a an attitude problem. Maybe the first way you notice it, their billing is sliding, right? But if you're reviewing that stuff on a monthly basis and you're in dialogue with all the managers about their their various teams, you know, there's a process that's, that's causing the conversation to occur versus waiting until the person is so out of sorts that they go out and get another job or they start messing up uh, their client files or something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is something I like to hammer is, is like, there's really no coincidence. If you look at the largest companies in the world, uh, and if you take a Procter & Gamble, for example, you know if they're going to launch a dish soap in Canada versus Australia, they're able to know with basically 100% certainty what the more profitable one to launch is because they have a handle on the numbers. And if you take that on the flip side, if you look at solo practitioners or, or really you know solo entrepreneurs at any level, the ones that end up getting a handle on that number, it's the numbers that actually allow people to scale. To your point, it's like, you know, you don't want to leave this stuff to chance. Having these metrics to work on is really no two ways about it. So you always yeah. see the commonalities that the people who are growing, the people who are posting uh, revenue year over year, it's because they understand those numbers. And they know when I talk to somebody and they say, Oh, yeah, we're, we're looking to post, a, you know, we're 22% growth this year. I know that that's someone who's going to be capable of making decision, and they're probably going to hit that one way or another. So that's really such an important mindset for people to grow. And for anyone who's listening, if the experience, Bears out, you know, if you're on the track where you might not have a really clear look at these things, it's not a you know completely ivory tower, come up with the perfect model and then that's gonna yeah. serve you for the rest of life. A lot of the times it's taking small steps to see, hey, look, what's uh what's my average billing per client? If I end up getting this many more clients, then what's my practice gonna look like next month? What's it yeah. going to cost to get those clients? And being able to make informed decisions like that, it's like, you know, there's small steps that people can take that will eventually scale up and, and allow you to, you know, as you grow, have the information that you need to know what it's going to take to go to the next level, if that's something that something's in yeah, for us. Yeah,
0: you know, it can be kind of hard because any sort of effort that you expend on growth, it's sort of like it's good for you in the future, but it's taking away from you today. It's almost always painful because if you've got a trial coming up, like you're, say you're you're the leader of a five attorney practice. I mean, you are in it absolutely for sure. You couldn't even afford to just be the boss and just turn over all your files. And you're probably the the best attorney. Not probably, you're definitely the best attorney and you're the one who's the best at marketing. Right. So you're doing everything. And then like a guy like me comes along and says, yeah, you you need to start like thinking about like looking at like reports and making projections. You know, it's crazy. The way that Mike Sullivan did it is he sort of struggled and, and did the best he could until he could afford to hire someone like me to come in and start working on that stuff. And it wasn't until we were around 10 attorneys. And so he had to wear that hat himself until that point. And that it's a drag. There's just no getting around it. It's like that five to 10 attorney level is a painful period in the growth of anybody and of any firm that's trying to grow past that. It's really, really tough.
1: No, that's a really good point, too. And, and like even at the smaller level, too, I like to talk a lot about the transition from referrals to, to finding outside ways of finding things. And it's like, you know, there's always this, this balance between comfort and what's going to be scalable. And a lot of times in the context of a solo practice, it's like, okay, am I going to keep hitting the the BNI meetings and, and the, the bar associations and hand out business cards? Because the leads that come through that are always really friendly people. Whereas somebody that you might be coming from, you know, cold lead on the internet might be really bristly. And then it's, it's easy to kind of go slide back into those old patterns, be the hero in your business if you're at that five to 10 attorney level. And you can go through an entire day. It's going to be a great rush. You're going to sleep like a baby that night, but... You might have to take a little time off the table to go build these things so that eventually you're not going to have to do that. And in the moment, it's really, really tough to go that, like you said. But you no, know, the reality is if people are committed to growth, that's something that they absolutely have to do. You can't only scale being a hero attorney for so long. At some point, you have to just suck it up and go through that slog, whether it's a couple months, whether it's a couple years, if you really want to make it through that next level.
0: Yeah. One of the things I like is the concept of the 20 mile march, where it's good to have that hunger for hitting your goals and you really, really are inspired. But on the other hand, it takes a recognition of the fact that you're going to have to identify the things that are going to be effective and just be committed to doing them long enough for them to have that impact.
1: Absolutely. That's a super good point. Now, um, I want to transition a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about the process of scaling up. But you know, at the position that you're working in now, developing these really high level content plans. Now, can you tell me what it looks like for a much larger business once somebody is scaled up? What What are you doing right now to take firms like this to the next level?
0: You know, I've been working a lot, continued to work with Michael Sullivan and Associates. And the thing that, that I've been working on actually for many, many years initially within the firm and then now in a kind of unique role that's outside the firm is essentially, I think it was in 2011, they launched a legal treatise. It's called Sullivan on Comp as in workers' comp. And Mike and a couple other authors had started working on that, I think about five years prior. Imagine this, for five years, they worked on preparing, they used to call it the book, but it's actually grown into being a multi-volume 13 or 14 book set, right? It's huge. It's like a million and a half words on the subject of workers' comp. Essentially what they did, they read all the cases, they read all the laws, and they they essentially like wrote a practice guide from the ground up. And they didn't even look at the other practice guides until after they had already written, created the outline and put all the material, done all the writing. And then they went back and looked at those other practice guides to see, oh, are there important concepts that we didn't include. Obviously, we want to include those as well. But they, they really started from scratch. The thing that's really interesting is, although it's a practice guide for attorneys and it's fully footnoted, they actually wrote it with claims adjusters in mind. And the analogy that I use is like Newsweek articles. So if you read Newsweek on a complicated topic, there is going to be some complexity to the article and maybe you need to read it at a ninth grade level. But what they intentionally didn't do was they didn't write it like a legal textbook with the legalese, you know, sort of approach. And that was really, really kind of a winning formula because it's very readable and a lot of people rely on it. And so in 2011, they launched that to the industry, selling the books at conferences and working together with a, um, a marketing partner, WorkComp Central, who kind of had um, a lot of uh, prominence in the community. And so it was available both online and in this book form. And they really, really focused their uh, much of their marketing effort instead of selling selling the firm, they were selling the book. And when you're at an event where the clients are gathering, and they're coming to your booth, because if you're selling the information, then well, maybe there's this question in the back of my mind, I want to get answered. I saw this many, many times, you know, we're at a conference, there's five defense firms, they all look exactly the same, same backdrop, same four guys in a suit, and ours was the booth that was hopping, like it was about the books, and people were there just asking questions, and, and so the clients were getting the idea themselves. Oh, this is the firm that I want to hire. So the books were kind of like the sideway in or something, you know, instead of trying to knock on the front door.
1: Going back to that content thing, it looks like you guys were really able to differentiate yourself because you know it's really easy for anyone to say, "Hey, we're the top firm in X Y Z district, or we're thought leaders and something like that." But when you said, "Look, I," we literally wrote the book on this stuff. You know, it carries a lot of weight these days, which is pretty interesting.
0: Now, here's a challenge though. I mean, it took a lot of resources. I mean, first of all, the managing partner, I mean, this was taking up 50% of his time. And so the firm wasn't really like thriving during those years that he was writing because that's what he was doing all the time. And then he had like, it was so much work that he couldn't do it himself. And so he was hiring other people. So he was out of pocket paying these people to help him on the project. You know, when you go into a thing like that, that you got to know that you're really doing it all the way to the end, because otherwise halfway through, it's going to look like a bad idea. And it did. Everybody around him was like, why are you doing this? I mean,
1: going back to the 20 mile march, like, you know, it's, it's, Going to look really, really tough around mile 12, but they ended up getting him through. And it looks like that really paid off for him. I want to say, like, once this whole process was kind of wrapped up, a question that always comes up is, you know, what's the time to getting results from this? So could you tell me a little bit more about what sort of ramp up was needed?
0: It's hard to say. You know, the idea originally was we're going to write it and then publish it. But a couple of years into it, all the resources are going to to creating this thing and it's not done yet. And he got the idea. And I think this was a really good idea to publish one of the chapters as a free preview. I think we printed up about 5,000 of those and just gave them away to everyone. So, And it said right on the cover and, and inside the text, this is a free preview of a complete set that's being published soon. So he was already using this thing even before it was out. As a marketing effort. And that was really, really, I think the start of it. Okay. So that would have been about 2009. And the book itself was launched in 2011. And sometime around, I'm not sure about the dates. I'm doing this from memory and I might be wrong, but let's say it was uh, September 2013, I think it was, or it might have been 2012. I think it was 12. There was a new law passed for California practitioners, SB 899. And that law was a big deal in the California workers comp industry. It kind of like came out of nowhere because there were some negotiations behind the scene, you know, the sort of labor. And, and I, I don't even remember the story so much, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. And it was happening. And everybody was blown away by this thing because it was a huge shift in the way that the law was practiced. And here's what happened we already had our entire process in place. We had a team of writers. We had been working together for several years. We had the editors. We knew how to produce books. And what happened was they kind of met uh, for a weekend. They split up the work. They did the analysis. And I think it was within a week that they put together a 150-page guide To this new law that was rocking everybody's world. And we got it out. We made it available for free as a download. And I think within a couple of weeks, we had the hard copies and it literally blew everybody's mind because it was really, really good. And so everybody was like, you know, how did you do this? Because if you were just a firm that decided to do that, you couldn't do it. You had to already have the infrastructure in place. So it was all those years of preparation met the perfect opportunity. And because it was such a big deal and everybody was scrambling to understand it, we did a bunch of webinars uh, for free. And I think we had like a thousand people on each of those webinars and we did wow. like five of them or something. So that was like the big break that really kind of took the sales of the book way up. And, you know, the phone started ringing for the firm and somewhere around there, Mike made it, you know, was joking around. I have a new way of getting clients. I, you know, the phone rings and I pick it up. <laughs> and that was so funny to us because that was never how it was before that. You know, it's like you, you sort of pursue someone for months and you're taking them out to dinners and, and trying to get into their office and they keep blowing off your appointments. And, and now it was like a total shift because we really were the experts at that point, you know, in the eyes of the industry. It's where uh, preparation
1: meets opportunity that you end up getting the, like the, what people would refer to as luck. But another good point is it might not have been a breakout success on the first iteration, but the systems and stuff that you guys ended up building really allowed you to capitalize on that. So um, that's pretty interesting.
0: I mean, it was also luck, though, because that change in the law. There was another one about five years ago, and it's sort of pretty stable right now. So it's sort of like, when are those things going to happen? You certainly can't plan for that or count on it.
1: As far as you mentioned a couple of things before. So they're the um, printing out of the documents as well as the webinars and stuff. So you guys have this great resource. What were you doing to get eyeballs on it?
0: I think the partnership with WorkComp Central was really huge for that. You know, they already had a huge audience. I mean, it was sort of is the gathering place for practitioners, both like, you know, on the applicant side and the defense side, the claims experts, all those people, everybody already kind of relies on WorkComp Central. So that was a huge part of it. And that's probably the primary thing. I mean, we we sort of, as a firm, were are developing the mailing list and I'm sure they emailed uh, their customer base. I so if, think that was pretty much most of
1: it. So if the real lever here was having this distribution channel, with a partnership. How do you guys go about establishing this partnership in the first place?
0: I think Mike had already been publishing his 50 page, 100 page guides on there and they were getting read. And that was like an asset for them because Mike creates this valuable content posted on their site and that's adding value for their audience. And so there, there was already that relationship. So it was kind of like a call. And, you know, I remember some early getting together for lunch with some of their people and we were, some of our people would go and you know, propose that idea, but it was sort of like um, just sort of saying, "Hey, I'm thinking of writing this book. You know, what do you think about it? You know, you want to be a part of this, right?" And and sort of just going from there, and then going through the whole process and hammering out the details. Ultimately,
1: it was it was really a win win for those guys. And you know, when you invest, you guys have invested the time into creating this resource. It's value that these guys can add to the market. So basically, you know, if you have sort of time to invest in this, for anyone trying to take away a strategy, investing in this content, even if it doesn't provide you know, direct sales for something like this, it really tends to open the doors for for these resource partners that can be a huge lever down the road. And then basically to kind of put this all to it sounds like something, this has been like a really successful journey for you and the firm. What kind of in, in terms of, you know, whatever numbers you're comfortable sharing, what have been like the results in terms of how big, how big the business has grown, how many partners you guys have added? What is the the real effect of all this stuff in the end?
0: Yeah. I think the firm is currently around 60 attorneys. I know they have uh, nine offices throughout the state. And you know that's really important on the defense side. Being a statewide firm means that you can have a relationship with a national client, like a grocery chain or something, and you can serve their needs in all all the markets that they do business in, in your state. There are some of our competitors that are even doing business outside of California. They have Arizona locations and Nevada and et cetera. But I don't know, I'm kind of going off track. I guess, uh, yeah, Yeah, that gives you a sense of the impact. During the time that I was in the executive director role, this uh, solvent on comp product had already been out uh, for many years I mean the phone was ringing with people who learned about the firm maybe through recommendation to someone in the industry or something like that but essentially you could trace it back to the solvent on comp product
1: we've gone from a solo practitioner to somebody completely statewide at you know one of the largest economies in the world within a pretty short span like we're talking 10 or 15 years here so you know it's not an overnight success story but by all means when, when somebody has a plan yeah. they're, they're willing to invest the time to, to create Value. This is what ends up happening. If you want to become a household name, this is you know the work that it takes to get there. And you guys are actually working on a new product, if I'm not mistaken. So, would you mind telling me a little bit about what's sure. going on with you guys right yeah. now? Yeah,
0: the partnership with Workcom Central was really fantastic. I think for both parties for a long time. But ultimately, you know, like like any business partnership that's sort of been in place for years, you know, sometimes there comes a time where it just makes sense to part as friends but go your own way. And so the firm ultimately decided that they wanted to bring it in house. Ultimately, they wanted to devote more resources to continuing to grow it. Just given where the firm was at, they felt that that was, uh, you know, the time was right that that it was something they could do. So essentially, they've launched their own website and they're now addressing all the operational issues themselves directly on the sullivanoncomp.com website. You know, that's sort of my baby. I helped them to build that, work with the developers and put that in place. I run the operations for the website. And um, it's sort of something that looked like it was going to be sort of a part-time gig, but it's become a little bit full-time lately over this past year and a half. But it's also been a lot of fun. And so I've allowed that to happen because I really enjoy it. So that's kind of where that's at and what my role in it has been.
1: In terms of like the day of the life stuff, what are you guys focused on for it's it's mostly development work? What's kinda like the timeline for this? Like what kind of stuff are you guys focusing on today to take things to the next level?
0: There's another set of features that are really important that that we're working on rolling out. You know, the book is a content website. It's a subscription product. So people pay to access the content. And we had to, you know, first sort of get it up and running and just all those uh, not that exciting, but certainly important features like how does a customer, you know, what's in a customer account, like how do we get the billing to work and all that kind of stuff. And of course, the content and making sure that it had good search functionality. And now we're working on ancillary features that are important to people in this industry tools like calculators and things like that. So we launched in February 2017, a little bit over a year ago. And uh, the last year has been really focused on you know, making that transition for everyone, getting everybody in our system, making sure we had all the billing info, getting everybody's renewals processed, all that kind of stuff. And so this year, we're focusing on adding features and really marketing now. Now that we're on the new platform, we want to reach out to everyone who maybe has heard of the product, but they haven't really checked it out or if you haven't used it in a while and, and try to really focus on it you know increasing the, the user base
1: years later this is the kind of stuff that people are focusing on it's really awesome that you guys aren't resting on your laurels and it's continuing to innovate and provide more value for this which is ultimately which got you guys to to the success in the first place this is sounds like it's been an incredible journey Michael thank you so much for sharing the story with us for people that might be interested in getting into contact with you what's the best way to find you online?
0: My website is lawfirmexcellence.com. I'm easy to find through that. There's contact info on there. And um, it just kind of gives you a good overview of what I'm all about too. All right. Fantastic. Thanks again, Michael. This has been an
1: awesome value. And I hope the people that are listening to this that are committed to growth will take some of these strategies seriously because I mean, there's some, some serious gems in here. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening to the Case Fuel Podcast. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next
0: episode,